Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey, glad to, glad to see you. Um, I, I guess that's how we do it. I'll just get started while we're uh, finishing up the offering. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, my name is Mike Fleischman, and I'm the Vice President of Personnel for Missions Door in Denver, Colorado, and we are friends of First Baptist Church Sheridan, Wyoming. We love looking for any excuse to come up here and be with our friends. Uh, my beautiful wife, Kim, is with me today. And uh, we were so excited when, you know, we, they gave me the opportunity to be included in the summer series on the one another's in the Bible. And then when we found out it was such an exciting day, everyone's on the edge of their seat, you know, the big boat today. We were just excited that we get to be here. So thank you so much. Uh, we love you. We're excited for you. And we appreciate so much having the opportunity to be back here uh, with you again. I'll tell you just a little bit. Uh, we've kind of got some exciting things going on in our in our family. Kim and I, this is our 30th year of marriage this year, and we've got exciting news because our our oldest, our son Tucker, is getting married in a month, and so we're all we're all excited. We're empty nesters, you know. Our kids are out of the house, and so uh, he just graduated from college. He's gone on staff at a really large church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and so we and we've got a wedding in four weeks. So we're just all wedding all the time. We're excited about that, and on top of that. Our youngest, our daughter, as soon as the wedding is over, she's going into the army. Yes, that's right. She's going into the army, and she's going to train uh, as a paralegal and continue her education in the legal field. And so we're just, just we're really excited about where life has us right now, uh, including Sheridan, Wyoming at the moment. I, um, I spend a lot of time on the road traveling uh, for Missions Door. Missions Door is a family of nearly 300 missionaries across the country and around the world, and 800 churches and thousands and thousands of partners, including you right here, partnering together to bring the hope and the help of the gospel to the least and the lost just when they need it most. And if for no other reason, I'm here today because I want to say thank you. You are faithful partners with us. You support Dennis and Shelley Noble in the inner city of Denver, Colorado. You, you support the Lopez family in Holyoke, Colorado. Those are both fine, wonderful missionaries. Thank you for your faithful support. We couldn't do it without you. But we're here this morning not to do a missionary infomercial, but to spend time in God's Word. And as you know, you've been studying each week different one another's that are in the Bible. And this morning, we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 15, in particular, verse 7. So if you have your Bible um, or your mobile device or however you get to God's Word, I want to have you get there to Romans, chapter 15, and verse 7, because I think you're going to see this is important today that you see this for yourself. Romans, chapter 15, and verse 7, you may be familiar with these words. Paul writes this, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also has accepted us to the glory of God. Key word there, acceptance. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but acceptance is a really hot word in our culture, in our society today. Orientations, identifications, lifestyles. Acceptance of all of these and more has become an overriding value for the culture that we find ourselves living in today. Today, we are told that we have an obligation not merely to be tolerant. For a long time, that's what we were told, tolerance, to, to treat with dignity and respect even individuals with whom we hold very strong differences. 
But today we are told that we need to show beyond tolerance acceptance. Affirming not just the person, but affirming the validity of whatever ideas or identity that they say expresses who they truly are. That is a pretty massive shift in the societal expectations that we have moved to today. Across the board, acceptance. You may not be surprised to learn that for those who would like to put this kind of philosophy underneath a Christian umbrella, Romans chapter 15 and verse 7 is probably their favorite go-to verse. They say this is why the church has no business saying anything about someone's sexuality or morality or personal choices because after all the Bible does command us accept one another. After all, Jesus has accepted us. And yes, it does say something like that, but no, it does not mean something like that. And for anyone who takes the time to carefully read it, that would be perfectly clear. About 10 days ago, I just returned from Cambodia. I spent an entire week there in Cambodia training pastors in principles for biblical interpretation. Most all of these pastors, like most of the pastors in the world today, have no formal training. And what's more, they have in the Khmer language almost no Christian books or written resources of any kind that are at their disposal. These pastors, like most pastors in the world today, they have a Bible and they have a calling from God. And with those two things, they are serving as faithfully as they can as pastors in the church of God. And so they had gathered for an entire week to listen and learn and write down everything they could because those notes that they would take back with them to their villages would be their only written resource to help them remember principles for accurate biblical interpretation. What do you say to pastors like that? So he spent an entire week together, together exegeting one passage after another. But I told them this, and I told them all. I said, if after I am gone, you forget everything I said and only remember one thing, remember this. Context. When you're trying to discover what a particular verse means, take your finger and run it backwards and discover what it means in light of what has come before. Figure out where the passage starts and figure out where the passage ends and then interpret your verse in the midst of this passage. If you remember only one thing about accurately interpreting the Bible, remember this. God. Romans chapter 15 and verse 7 is a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. Now, the word that the Apostle Paul uses here in this verse is the Greek word proslambano. It is a, it's a physical term, and it literally means this, to pull someone in close to yourself. You know how it is when you see someone and you're glad to see them, and you either grab them in a handshake or in a hug, and you literally physically pull them close to yourself. That is what the word means. In a relational sense, it means to pull someone in closer into your circle of friends. Now, in all of the books of the Bible that Paul wrote, he only used this word, proslambana, five times. 
And if you take your finger backwards and look, you'll discover that four of those five times are in this passage right here. So it turns out that we haven't found a verse on acceptance, but we have found an entire passage about acceptance. And Romans chapter 15 and verse 7, in fact, is the summation. It is the conclusion. It is the exclamation point on a chapter and a half on acceptance within the family of God. So here's what we're going to do today. Little novel, stay with me. We're going to actually slow down, back up, and read the passage that it came from. Not just the sound bite that we like, but the entire thing on what God has to say about relationships of uncommon and sometimes uncomfortable acceptance within God's family. So do you have your Bible before me? Stay with me. It's a little radical. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 14. Stay with me. And we're going to just read the Bible. I know. Probably my last invite, but just stay with me. So, do this. Stand up out of respect for God's word. And I'm going to start reading in Romans chapter 14 and verse 1. Please follow along in your Bible as I read. Paul writes this. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to look down on the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore... Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Let's skip down just a little bit to the beginning of chapter 15. It says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those whom reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you 
to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also has accepted us to the glory of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we certainly don't have the time this morning to unpack everything that is in this passage, but I think it's important for you to hear it all together and see it all together. Because if you follow along through the passage, at least in terms of action points, there are two primary principles that come through in this passage. Here's the first principle. In debatable matters of faith within the body of Christ, we will have personal convictions that are in opposition between us. So if you have your outline this morning, write that down. In debatable matters of the faith within the body of Christ, we will have personal convictions that are in opposition between us. It's something that we never quite can get over. How is that possible? How is it that good, well-meaning, intelligent, Bible-believing, spirit-led Christians can, can try to live their lives to the glory of God but fundamentally disagree with one another about how they ought to do it? Within the body of Christ, there are debatable matters of faith in which we will come to personal convictions that will be in opposition to one another. And the Apostle Paul would quickly add to that, and that is okay. This has been going on for a long, long time. It was going on in the days when the Bible is written. It's still going on in 2018. And so when we find good, Bible-believing, well-intentioned, spirit-led, God-honoring Christians who come to different points of view on matters of conviction, we should not be alarmed by this. As if the system has somehow broken down, as if the Bible is somehow not working, the Holy Spirit has fallen down on the job. Paul reminds us this is to be expected. It says in chapter 14 and verse 5, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Now, when we talk about opposing personal convictions in the body of Christ, it's probably important to clarify what Paul means by debatable matters, or maybe your Bible says matters of opinion. When he talks about these debatable matters, he is not referring here to central matters of Christian doctrine. That's not what he means in any way at all. And central matters of Christian doctrine are essential points of faith that define what historic orthodox Christianity is things like the absolute truth of the Bible that is before you. The, the very nature of God, one God eternally existing in three persons, his son Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, salvation through his substitutionary death alone. Matters like these, these are not debatable matters, these are essential points that define what Christian faith is. This is the very core of Christianity, and Paul would warn. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine, such a person is conceited, understands nothing, and is deprived of the truth. When we say that Christians don't always agree in their conscience, we do not mean by this everything in Christian doctrine is up for debate. Not at all. Here's a second thing Paul is not saying. Paul is not talking about clear matters of commandment. So, for instance, the truth, telling the truth, 
is not situational. Abstaining from immorality, that is not a personal decision. Loving your neighbor is not optional. The, the New Testament is chocked full of crystal clear commandments that apply to 100% of Christians 100% of the time. When Paul says there are matters that are debatable, he's not talking about central matters of the Christian faith. He's not talking about clear areas of commandment. What he is talking about is debatable matters of the personal expression of faith as applied to everyday living. These are things that the Bible has not explicitly spoken to. And in changing times and in different cultures, good Christian people cannot help but wonder, in my situation today specifically, what is the best choice to make to express the glory of God in my life? Hot topics. So what were the hot topics 2,000 years ago with the Christians in Rome that Paul was writing to? Well, Paul mentions three in particular. Chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, he talks about meat eating. In verses 5 and 6, he talks about Sabbath keeping. And then in verse 21, he talks about wine drinking. Now, what would have been so controversial about these things that it would have gotten good, Bible-believing, spirit-led Christians all fired up and in opposition to one another? So, for instance, meat eating. Um, now, we know exactly what this controversy was about because Paul explains it in great detail over in his letter of 1 Corinthians. Um, now, you have to understand that these Christians in Rome, they were living in a culture that was absolutely, absolutely obsessed with idols and the worship of the pagan deities that these idols represented. And this touched almost every single area of life, including the butcher shop. And so almost all the meat that was sold in the butcher shop, it was first sacrificed before an idol. A prime cut of meat was offered up in the sacrifice to that idol, and then the rest of the meat went down to the butcher shop. Now, some Christians, this did not bother them at all. You know, they said, after all, Jesus said, it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles a man, it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles a man. And all I know is, this is a nice-looking steak, and I'm going to savor it to the glory of God. But there were other Christians who didn't feel so comfortable with it. They said, it kind of feels to me like if I eat this steak that was first sacrificed in that way, at least by association or maybe in passive participation, I am somehow taking part in this whole culture of idolatry. Good Christian people, but they were coming down on different matters of conviction regarding me. The second thing he mentions is, oops, he mentions Sabbath keeping. Now, some Christians, especially those of Jewish background, they would have read the Hebrew scriptures, and they would have seen there a clear and enduring pattern for the people of God. God himself rested on the seventh day. He called that day holy, and then he gave it to all generations as a gift to his holy people this day. Other Christians would say, no, 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 that's, that's old-fashioned thinking right there. That's under the law thinking there in Christ Jesus every single day. is holy. He's made the common holy. It's all sanctified whatever day you choose. Good Christians coming down on different sides of this 
point of conviction. And Paul says, one man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Sabbath keeping. Go back far enough, that was a hot topic. Third issue, wine drinking. You'll have to forgive me, I was running a little short on time. <laughs> now we don't know exactly what this issue was about. But here's what we know for sure. We know that just like today, good Christian people came down on both sides of the issue. There were some that Paul said had strong faith and their conscience was releasing them to enjoy it to the glory of God. Other people had weak faith and their conscience was warning them that this wasn't good at all. Good Christians coming down on different sides of the issue. The interesting thing is Paul has his own opinion on this matter. Just seriously, if this falls off and breaks and Budweiser goes everywhere, I know this is my last invitation back. So I'm just, yeah, I'm pushing it, but I'm not stupid. Okay, I'm just being careful. It's just a nightmare. So Paul had an opinion about it. Actually, he expresses his opinion. He says, hey, I know that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But the interesting thing is, even though he has an opinion and even though he's an apostle, he in no way tries to settle these disagreements between them. He says, some will have convictions that set them free. Some will have convictions that hold them back. And he says in chapter 14 and verse 5, let each person be fully convinced in their own mind. So that's the first principle. You got it? In debatable matters of the faith, within the body of Christ, we will have personal convictions that are in opposition with each other, and this is okay. Here's the second principle out of this passage. When these areas inevitably come up between you, he says, resist the temptation to put relational distance between yourself and your brother or your sister because of your differences of conviction. Resist the temptation when this comes up, and it will, over something. Resist the temptation to put relational distance between yourself and your brother or your sister because of your difference of conviction. Because no matter what year it is, no matter what culture you live in, no matter what the issue is, the temptation for those of us who fall on one side or the other is always the same. And so Paul begins by addressing the strong. That's the person who has the conscience that is freeing him up to say, I can enjoy this beer to the glory of God. And he says, now watch yourself. Because your tendency is going to be to look at your brother over there who's saying, no thanks. I think I would have a better testimony if I didn't. And I know what your temptation is going to be. You're going to look at him and think, what a prude. You want to talk about a button-down legalist, man. Try living once in a while, Poindexter. And he says, don't you do it. Don't you judge your brother because of the choice their conscience is leading them to. Don't look down on your brother whose conscience is holding them back. They are making a choice in an effort to glorify God in their lives, and don't you dare look down on them because of their effort to bring glory to God. Paul also has a word to the weak, those with the more sensitive conscience. 
He says, don't judge your sister whose conscience is giving her freedom. You know, the one who's drinking the wine, the one who's eating the steak, the one who's worshiping on Thursday. Don't look over them and think to yourself, that there, that's a picture of a worldly Christian. Carnal, I'd say. Compromised, for sure. To be honest, sometimes I wonder if they're really even a Christian at all. Don't you do it, he says. If your conscience is giving you freedom, don't you dare judge your brother who doesn't have it. And if your conscience is holding you back, don't you dare bring judgment against those who have freedom. This is our temptation. Don't look down on them in scorn. Don't look sideways in them in judgment. Because these inevitably becomes the fault lines between us and them in the body of Christ. These are the negative sides of the commandment that Paul gives. Don't look down on your sister. Don't judge your brother. This is the negative. Can I ask, what is the positive side of this command? Well, you know it. It's Romans chapter 15 and verse 7. Even in your disagreement of conviction, make the choice to accept them. And you remember the picture of the word? Grab a hold of them and pull them in close in relationship. Each one of us, according to our own conscience, are trying to express the lordship of Jesus Christ in the choices we are making. He says, be fully convinced in your own mind. He says, let them be fully convinced in their own mind and don't put distinctions between one another in condescension and judgment, but rather intentionally reach out and pull them in demonstrating a deep sense of personal acceptance despite the differences of conviction that are between you. It's hard to understand, though, isn't it? I mean, these issues that seem so crystal clear for us and so biblically supported, how in the world can they not see the light on this stuff like we do? I mean, I, I try to be patient with them and they're quirky misunderstandings. You know, I joke. When they get to heaven, God will straighten them all out. Of course, they're making the same joke about me. And even if I am tolerant, still, I, I tend to keep a little extra distance in there between us. Trying to avoid an argument, maybe. Trying to just keep the peace, maybe. And yet, even this tolerant, precautionary distance is the very temptation that Paul is warning me against. Do not see your disagreement of a personal conviction as an excuse to put distance in the relationship. Intentionally reach out to them and bring them in close, your brother who is on the other side of this conviction issue. Paul has given us two basic action principles in this passage, but he also raises some questions like, why is this an obligation in the family of God? I mean, if, if you read it carefully, it's, it's not an option. It's not something you might want to think about for consideration. It's a commandment. As a member of the family of God, as a member of his household, you have an obligation to do this to your fellow brother or sister. Throughout the entire passage, it is embedded with this idea. Because of what God has done 
for your brother or your sister. And he is the father, he is the head of the household, he is the master, he is the Lord. If he has done this for them, who do you think you are to give them less? Don't reject the one with a different conviction from yours. He says in chapter 14, verse 3, for God has accepted him. Don't judge the one with a different standard. He says in verse 4, for God is the one who will in the end make him stand. Don't tear your brother down, chapter 14 and verse 20, for they are the workmanship of God. You mean that God has built them up and you are going to tear them apart. And then 15.7 puts the exclamation point on the whole idea. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also has accepted us to the glory of God. The same one who has accepted you who has accepted me, who has accepted us, he has accepted them. You are under obligation, therefore, he says, not to judge them. And by the way, another question. When God accepted you, just exactly how did he do it? Because he says, as he has, past tense, finished action, accepted us. How did he accept you? Can you remember back to the very beginning? I mean, I am sure that you are a fine specimen of Christian faith and living today, much more so than you used to. But can you remember all the way back to the very beginning when you first realized God had accepted you, that you were welcomed by him, that you were in that instant forever family, you were forgiven You were clothed in righteousness. You were called a saint. You were given an inheritance. You were seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ. You were accepted by him. Can you remember back to when he first did that? How did he accept you? Did he accept you even with some of your quirky misunderstandings back then? Did he he accept you even with some of your simplistic understandings of the Christian faith? Did he accept you even with some of your rough edges still, even with some lifestyle issues that still had to be worked out? Did he accept you even with all of those things? Yeah, he accepted me like that too. And he says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you to the glory of God. This is really hard stuff to do. I mean, it makes for a really nice refrigerator magnet. I mean, I get that. But when you talk about actually doing It's really hard. I mean, sure, this stuff is, it's 2018. We aren't hung up on this stuff. And I I haven't heard a good church fight over the Sabbath for a long time. We're, We're good to go on that. Church fight over steak? I don't think so. I don't even hear much people talking about drinking wine anymore. Yeah. It's easy to read it and go, We're not worried about that stuff, are we? But we have our own issues. Stuff that comes up. 
issues of conscience, conviction, that we end up on different sides of? Yeah, that bag of stuff is gone, but we got a new bag of stuff, lifestyle convictions. We don't always see eye to eye on tattoos. Is that really the best way for a Christian to decorate the temple? Is it really best for a Christian to come home at the end of a long day and relax by playing Grand Theft Auto on their Xbox? Do you think it's really appropriate for a Christian to make their living as a bartender? Lifestyle convictions. And you know what? Good Christians end up landing on both sides. Pretty hard. You know another set of convictions we end up on both sides of a lot? This would have been unthought of by New Testament people, but we struggle with it all the time. Political convictions. Happens all the time. And, it, and it's just maddening. Why is it so hard in the, in the body of Christ? Why, for instance, uh, the immigration crisis that's going on right now. Why doesn't every good Christian who, who loves Jesus and wants to honor God, reads the book of this Bible, believes it, gets down on their knees and asks God for wisdom, get back up and agree again in conviction about what we ought to do? But we don't. Good Christians end up having different convictions about what ought to happen next. Why is that? Doesn't it seem like it should be different? But it keeps happening. Election day. Why is it that good Christian people love God, led by the same spirit, they go into the voting booth desiring to live out the expression of their Christian faith, why aren't they all led to pull the lever the same? Matters of conviction, they end up on one side or the other. And sometimes we even find ourselves saying things like, I don't know how someone can even call themselves a Christian and vote for them. But that doesn't really solve the issue, does it? Because we know the fact is, it happens. Probably the safer thing is just to avoid it. Keep a little distance. Very least, let's not fight about it or talk about it. Let's, you stay there, I'll stay here. Except, even that tolerant, peaceful temptation is the exact thing that Paul is warning against. He says, <laughs> accept them. That is, reach out, embrace them, and pull them relationally close, despite your strong differences of conviction on this debatable matter. Just as Christ has also accepted us to the glory of God. And Paul would say to you, I, I know that you are diametrically opposed on this issue. And I know that you are absolutely convinced in your mind that they are out to lunch. And I know that you desperately wish they would think this through a little bit more. I get that. But he says, I am commanding you, first and foremost, not to change their mind, but to change your attitude towards them. And make a choice, despite your principal differences, to reach out and say, I will pull you close because you and I, we belong to the same family just as Christ also has accepted us to the glory of God.
And if I might be so bold to ask, why does all this matter anyway? I mean, except for the fact that we're Christians and we should try to be nicer, I suppose. Did you notice when you were reading the first word, Romans chapter 15, verse 7? Go ahead and look in your Bible right now. First word he writes is therefore, or maybe your translation says so then, or something like that. Now the word therefore always means this. In light of what I have just said, therefore, pay attention now to this right here. And he begins it by saying, therefore, in light of what I have just said. What did Paul just say? Read it for yourself. Romans chapter 15 and verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify. That means extol, openly magnify, lift up and publicly praise, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one voice. The, the idea he has there is of this great mass of people joining their voices together in unison to ring out an unmistakable refrain. Something, something like a quarter million Americans on the mall in Washington, D.C., but this day it's July 4th. And though they have traveled from so many different places, and, they, and so, though they come from so many different groups, on this day, together they join all of their voices in one great voice of unison, singing out the unmistakable refrain of the national anthem. And you can hear it from miles away. It's something like that. This is my prayer, Paul said. So that all of the people of God with one mind and in one accord and with one great indivisible voice in unison will glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, that this prayer might become a reality. Therefore, accept one another despite your strong and principled differences Accept one another just as Christ also has accepted us to the glory of God. That is the grand vision that he has. Christians of every stripe and label and conviction and background and party living together in astounding harmony, singing together in compelling unison the one and only song that in the end truly matters that in the end truly matters. Long after our current politicians are dead and gone, and long after anyone cares anymore about tattoos, or beards, or lipstick, or whatever the latest controversy is about in personal adornment, <laughs> long after anyone cares, the one great eternal song that will still be ringing and will still matter, which is the song of the redeemed. Power and glory and dominion be to the one who was and who is and who is to come. The eternal God who reigns on high has redeemed us by his grace 
through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Let him hear the song because in the end, that's the only one that's going to matter. And I can't help but wonder what would happen if a lost and dying world when they scroll through our Facebook posts and our Instagram stories and our Twitter feeds and they overhear us in our conversation, if they still caught our passion as Christians, but instead of hearing the passion we have for the differences between us, they caught the passion for the truth that unites us. And the truth that unites us is the gospel of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's why it matters. Accept one another just as Christ also has accepted us to the glory of God. Look, I I know I said a lot of things today. But here's what I was trying to say. Accepting one another means that the power of our relationship and the urgency of our message overrules the differences in our opinion every single time. Accepting one another means that the power of our relationship and the urgency of that one great eternal soul overrules differences in our opinions every single time. So Heavenly Father, you created us, you called us, you're working in us, so you know what you're working with. So I don't need to tell you that we are a people who are prone to divide. We get things in our crawl, we get birds under our saddle, and we look for excuses to separate. We live in a world that does it. But sadly, sometimes we live in a church that does it too. Lord, we have been part of the problem. We just confess that. Small part, big part, doesn't matter. We have a part. And so we're asking God that you would change us. And that our hearts would share your heart for your own eternal glory. And that we would be so taken by that glory and we would be consumed by it that we just can't keep distance when we need to sing in unison. Lord, you know I have differences. We're growing. Some of us have changed our opinions on things. We want to keep going back to the word and and encouraging one another and growing in our expressions of the faith. But we don't want to do it, whatever we do, at the sacrifice of with one mind and one accord and one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So help us to do this thing that sounds so simple but is so incredibly hard, accepting one another, even when we don't see eye to eye. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.